Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Fashion Unzipped, in association with Tag Heuer, Swiss avant-garde since 1860. You're listening to Fashion Unzipped. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Charlie Gowns-Eglinton, Senior Fashion Editor at The Telegraph. With me in the studio today is Bethan Holt, our Fashion News and Features Director, and calling in from New York is Sarah Kennedy, the British author and Telegraph columnist who lives in the Big Apple. This week's episode is a New York Fashion Week special. Sarah has been our eyes on the ground, running around and going to all of the shows so that we could stay nice and cosy in the studio. Things I want to discuss are... Why our fascination with the Olsen twins is causing women to buy £12,000 coats, how casting has changed in New York, and the clean eating movement and how it has changed the landscape backstage. Let's start with the important stuff. What does everybody actually want to buy? Sarah? I would say that everybody will be buying a leaner look for next winter. It's very bulky this year. Admittedly, all the bulky coats are pulled in with big belts. And for next winter, there are lots of nice kind of long line, um, streamlined coats over longer trousers. Everything feels like it's been elongated a bit. I really love those funnel type collars, I want to call them. You know, where the where the polo neck seems to come right up, but made with made from, you know, fashion from things like silk or wool, but not not knitted. And is that like the ones at the row that kind of yes. almost come up to your mouth kind of thing? Yeah, the row, Ryan Rocher. Yeah. That's a really nice look, I think. That kind of elegant, stretched out feeling is going to be around, which uh, is going to be re- refreshing, I think. I loved Gabriella Hurst's pleated skirts. They were so kind of slim fitting and layered yes. under quite long blazers because yes. I've always thought a pleated skirt for someone a bit hippie would be impossible to wear, but that looks like a doable way. Yeah. There've been lots of pleated skirts everywhere and all in a kind of lighter, lighter fabric or with a very kind of flat A-line shape and very narrow pleats. So yeah, not the kind of pleats that burst out over your hips. You know, they've all been kind of partially pleated or, you know, with a flat kilt type front um, to make them more wearable, really. And yeah, easier to kind of walk about in. And Although um, I think Redate was the exception there because they had 
I mean, the frills and pleats and just so much froth. It was very much kind of loo roll cover. I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I loved every minute of it, but but it was quite loo roll cover. It was. You know, that happened at Zimmerman and there there have been quite a lot of those kind of really over-the-top, frilly, almost summery concoctions, really. Not what we'd want to wear every day. Bethan, have you added anything to basket mentally? Well, I love all those things that we've just been talking about. And definitely I will be doing the blazer and pleated skirt look. I saw one Proenza Schuler one. I will definitely be zoning in on. It was like a pale blue pleated skirt and I think a navy blazer, which looked divine. But actually, the thing that I I really wanted to buy was um, Rosetta Getty. Oh, all, yeah. all her muzzles have black hair bands on. Um, oh. they, those ones that you can get in boots for like £2.50. Yes. So I, I think I might head to boots after work and um, get myself a black hair band. It surprises but, me not, Beth, and you've zoned in, obviously, on a Princess Diana trend. Well, of course. At New York Fashion Week. <laughs> <laughs> wherever, wherever Bethan goes, she will find. I will find. But that's the genius of Diana, you see. There's always there's so much to her repertoire that you can always find a way to, to get her in there. Yeah, it was quite Diana 1996. But, um, the, whole, the whole Rosetta Getty thing, it was like the kind of a lot of beige, you know, that like sort of taup tailoring with a black hairband perfection are there any trends we're worrying about because I saw the square toed boots at Proenza I know this is a thing but I can't not see Roldal's The Witches when I see no, a square toe no I, I don't think that's going to take off there were some much nicer pointy toes sort of kitten heels at Philip Lim that was a really really nice collection um, you're talking about long skirts with layering over the top they were beautiful black coats with white stitching that went over matching skirts. And I really loved these little boots they had that sort of had a little drawstring around the top that was super simple. And the ankle boots at Coach were great as well with lace-ups and clunky but easy to wear. And you're talking about Princess Diana. So the most terrifying trend in that vein will be these sort of big frilly collars. So I like the funnel look that we're getting but there've been these kind of like clown pie crusty frilly things at Brock and there was one at Tory Birch it was quite fun actually but that that's been a bit worrying I don't think we'll be going for that I liked the um if I remember rightly the Tory Birch ones were kind of silk collars and I like it when they have it you know on the sleeve and it kind of goes down over your hand and it it kind of looks a bit less prim I do know what you mean but I am a bit of a sucker for a fancy collar as well I do think there's (laughs) some worrying kind of 80s nods coming back through even Mm. I was writing about the Grammys earlier this week oh yes a bit terrifying a little bit labyrinth Happening. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Those big, too big, in my opinion, ruffled collars and the cuffs. I kind of think that part of the 80s is best left there, personally. Yes, yeah, so do I. So do I. I think the sort of leather panelling, metallic leather panelling, long kind of velvet and, well, faux fur coats, definitely that sort of big leathery business going on which um yeah no I'm with you there it's very elaborate (laughs) to a different royal a lot of the Duchess of Sussex's favorite designers are American and actually Sarah you spoke to the Carolina Herrera creative director Wes Gordon backstage and he cited Megan as a reference didn't he 
Yes. I asked him, did you design with uh, Megan in mind? And he he said, oh, goodness me, this collection really reflects her. She's a strong, bold woman and she represents that so beautifully. And, you know, she's not a wallflower. And I think that that's, that's true of her. And the clothes were absolutely exquisite. And they were also very simple, which is kind of her look really, isn't it? So they were very just clean around the neck, clean around the wrists, offering something beautifully constructed in the middle, but then just very, very plain around the arms. Just a look that suits her, I think, and that she's made her own. I was looking at that show and out of all of them, it was so bright, you know, there's yes. been there have been a lot of these kind yeah. of autumnal, you know, classic autumnal colours and yes. muddy. But that show was just like a rainbow, wasn't it? It was it really it was, was beautiful. Yeah. It really was. And it was also elegant and kind of fun. And it was you could really see these sort of young East Coast debutantes wearing these dresses at the country club. I mean, I know that's a bit of a romantic notion, but that's kind of really what that is, as well as dynamic career women on the conference floor or hosting galas. It really went right across that sort of gamut of fabulous American evening wear. Do we think it's a shift then away from, because there's so much beige for spring and Megan has very much been the Duchess of Beige. Are we going to, are we going to move back to colour? No, I don't think so. I think we'll, we will move back to colour for evening and for special occasions. And that option will be there. We've seen so much yellow. So yellow velvet at everywhere from self-portrait to Tory Burch. I think there'll be lots of colour for evening and cocktail wear. New York is obsessed with cocktail wear. I feel like the rest of the world just kind of lives their lives and might go for a drink after work. But in New York, cocktail hour is the thing that everyone designs for. So those brands like Cynthia Rowley, Sashin and Babby, Rosetta Getty, they're all really beautiful. They all cover that kind of bright coloured evening option. But for, for every day, the creams and beige and natural, um, the row in particular was beautiful. I'm so interested in the row because, so this is the brand mm. from the Olsen twins, those Olsen mm. twins. They're charging, you know, £300 for a black cotton t-shirt. Some of their coats, yes. the cashmere coats are up £11,000, £12,000. Who's buying this stuff? I mean, it's beautiful. It's the ultimate kind of staple pieces in your wardrobe. But I'm always so surprised. Yes. I would say the row is worn by women in the tech businesses, uh, entertainment business, women in New York who have one eye in fashion. And that's an awful lot of people. Fashion has become really important throughout all those businesses. So five years ago, even, you might have taken a meeting with some people from a film company and nobody would have been dressed on trend, really. You'd have thought, who are these people? Don't they ever go to the shops or read a magazine? But now brands like The Row have really infiltrated that world. So you do definitely see it. And and among the you know higher-end journalists and fashion cognoscenti here they all absolutely love it and I have to say when you get up close to row garments you really can see the difference and you really find yourself drinking the Kool-Aid really. Do you think those people love it because do you think they know that the Olsons are part of it or do you think it, it would be what it is without that association? 
I think the Olsons have brought the row into focus, definitely. But they had, you know, there was somebody there yesterday and I wish I'd researched her name, but she looked like a design director. Very plain looking, very beautiful, slightly Tilda Swinton, no makeup. And I think she could be someone who works very closely with them. So I know that they work with designers who interpret this aesthetic for them. But, you know... This time it was also very fitted. So I've dismissed it a bit in the past, the row, because it's been droopy. But this time they had constructed almost corset-shaped waists on these very plain, long sort of oatmeal wool coats that they sent out that really were pretty special. So I think there's impact in those clothes as well. It's just a funny fish, really, the row, isn't it? Because you would kind of think that a brand coming from these child stars and the the TV and the the films they did were kind of, you know, straight to TV films and they weren't particularly stylish in them. And yet, as they've kind of grown up, there's this weird fascination with them. I'm fascinated by them as well. You know, I think they're incredibly chic a lot of the time well you just the the, the only time you ever really see them is walking around New York with a massive coffee cup wearing a really long black coat and so there's this sort of aura of mystery around them and I have to say I've seen one of them walking a dog in Central Park near where I walk my dog but I don't know which one it is so I'm kind of like (laughs) Mary Kate or Ashley Mary Kate or Ashley I don't really know (laughs) interchangeable But, um, but I think it's the drama of the clothes they create And it's an example of how fashion hypes itself because they are the most esteemed brand here. You know, I worked on magazines here and and the row is the show to go to always. (laughs) Now, something I was kind of interested in as a social observation Mm. is at Gabriella Hurst, the backstage snacks. So the UK (laughs) PR for Gabriella Hurst. Bring it um, back to food. Bring it back to (laughs) food. She Instagram storied a picture of the snacks backstage for the models. And it was boiled eggs, green matcha and yogurt (laughs) and fruit pots. And they were all in recycled glass jars. Yeah. But did you see what was front stage? Yeah. So, yes. so, so press got cheese and figs and... Yeah, I mean, that looked delicious. But what interests <laughs> me, because backstage used to be, when I was starting out and I would, you know, be seating people at shows or packing goodie bags when we're, there still were goodie bags back in the day, what mm. was backstage was crisps, Haribo, potentially some booze. I imagine at the more glamorous shows, champagne, vodka... Maybe some cocaine. Lots of Marlboro Lights. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> What's happened? This was like Gwyneth had been there. This is Gabriella Hurst we're talking about. Well, thanks. <laughs> I mean, she's another woman of exquisite taste who I, I can't imagine has ever even seen a Haribo packet in her life. <laughs> this is true. And I'm sure that the the, the models who she recruits will would have to glide into her world of, of chicness. Well, I was going to say there are two parts to that answer. So the first part is the food was absolutely delicious at Gabriella Hurst. <laughs> and it was a lifestyle experience at Gabriella Hurst. There were free cushions on the chairs so there were these beautiful little cushions that we could take away with us but was it the the cashmere off from one of her earlier shows she made these cashmere cushions I've got one at home yeah it was cashmere Mm. but there was velvet silk unfortunately because the weather was so terrible and we all had so many bags and well I had bags and umbrellas 
there was nowhere to put them. And I felt like you needed about six of these cushions to really take them home and make an impact. <laughs> One would have just been, that's no good. It was in a beautiful, just very plain kind of concrete showroom. And this buffet of food, very simple kind of meats and cheeses and figs and, as you say, and some fruit sliced up. It was really like a buffet breakfast at her Uruguayan ranch which I've never been to, by the way. But I would imagine... But now you feel like you have. She describes it as very, very rustic, because I interviewed her recently, actually, and she was speaking about the ranches in Uruguay because there's one in her Mm. mother's family and one in her father's family. And, you know, that's quite off-grid. But she is... She is kind of another one of those women who... There are two versions of rustic in the world, ladies. Two versions of rustic. It's like when you look at Gwyneth's lifestyle and you're just sort of mesmerised. I know. You know, Gwyneth, she moved to North London when I was living there. We had the same car. Then she became friends with my friend. I moved to New York and I kind of, for a little while, I felt like... Gwyneth's got my life in a way. Did Gwyneth's single but, white female, you? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not at all. But anyway, then back to Gabriella Hurst and the models and what they eat and drink. So the CFDA, Council of Fashion Designers of America, before Fashion Week, kind of issued an edict, or didn't kind of. They asked the designers to choose models who were of an age, who were not under 18, who were not young, you know, who were not vulnerable. There's there's this feeling of wanting to protect models and give them the best working conditions that they can this time. So I think offering alcohol in New York now has become absolutely taboo. And certainly when I worked in an office, you know, we couldn't have office drinks if there were interns around because if any of them were under 21, it's against the law. You know, there's this huge kind of puritism around. I think that kind of healthy facade is behind all this sort of um, healthy living backstage at the shows. I'm sure secretly there's some champagne swigging going on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, also, it's not fashion week if you've got time to, you know, eat square meals. No, no, it's not. I wouldn't call a boiled egg a square meal. No, you wouldn't. You really wouldn't. wouldn't. (laughs) Fashion unzipped in association with Tag Heuer. Excellence, precision and elegance. Our timepieces are designed for those who love challenges. What does New York feel like now? Because it lost... It's way, sort of, I think. A lot of brands left New York, like Redate went to Paris to show on the mm-hmm. control schedule, but they're back now at New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. This season, for the second time, Victoria Beckham's showing in London rather than New York. Mm-hmm. Tommy Hilfiger has taken his show on the road, starting in LA and, and now kind of going all over the world for his show. Does it feel like New York's lost its mojo or is it making a comeback? I think that what New York has had to do is zone in on its markets. So New York is not like a European show destination where you're expecting to see innovation beyond compare. For New York, it's about filling the coffers 
selling clothes. And I, I believe that's why so many of these collections sort of feel like department store presentations from the 1960s or 70s. A lot of the very pretty named brands that I mentioned earlier, they don't really feel like fashion in terms of what you, you're going to see in Europe. They're much more about clothes that the women who live in the city and on the East Coast and across America buy. You know, there are huge markets in Houston, in Texas, huge markets in Silicon Valley. And all of these women look to New York designers for their clothes. The more high-end, the more edgy individuals look out of America to Europe. And I think there has been this focus in on homegrown clothes that people will wear. That's hard to understand when you're a fashion journalist, I think, because you just think, where's the surprise? And I've got to say, there's just been no surprises in these collections for autumn, winter 19. I know you say that's hard for fashion journalists and and you're definitely right in the sense that it's obviously so lovely to go to a show and to be treated to a, a real fashion spectacle. But yeah. I also I also think that ultimately our job is to find clothes that women will want to wear and help to tell yes. them about them. And so yeah. in a way I think it's refreshing and I think there's nothing more frustrating than going to a fashion show and talking about some brilliant look and then realizing that no one's going to be able to buy that and you know maybe it might end up as sort of a bit of a sad looking shirt you know six months down the line so we probably need to get more used to that and and having that balance of of the two things it is a balance isn't it because actually as much as what women want to buy you know these are the classic coats and the row is going to inspire what we probably see in mango and zara at the same time even for us working on a newspaper the pictures that make the front page are things like Tomo Kazoimi. I don't know if I'm saying yes. that at all right, but a Japanese designer who, completely off the radar, plucked from obscurity by Katie Grand and put on a show in the Marc Jacobs store. And it was these huge, I mean, speaking of <laughs> loo roll covers, you've never seen the like. They're like those little dollies you used to get as a child, weren't they, that you flip the skirt. Yeah. I mean, you could yeah. hardly see the model's heads. <laughs> Rainbow-coloured. They, like, they were like those, if you ever went to a fairground, actually, what am I saying? Because you guys will never have been to a fairground in the 1980s that you remember, of course. But anyway, <laughs> you used to get these dolls that looked like Barbie dolls that kind of that bounced on elastic and they all wore these in amazing netting concoctions that were like fabulous little mini ball gowns of pink. Sarah, I had one. I had one. It was oh, did red you? and oh, white, red and white polka dots. There you go. <laughs> they were just gorgeous. And so that was what that Tomo Kazumi was was reminiscent of for me. And I think that's what Katie Grant thought. That was the feeling. Is there any? commercial thinking behind that though because obviously the other brands that so many of the other brands at New York are focused on selling and what will sell to department stores across the world is that going to be sold anywhere what what was the feeling that those clothes probably will be sold somewhere and probably will go to this huge market of I hate the word influencers but I'm going to use it because New York has this enormous <laughs> gang of people that go all go to the shows together you know I, I'm thinking of people like Kaya Gerber all those all those young influencers G Hemingway Jasmine Sanders there's a whole group of them who wear those clothes and beyond that the the people in the music business 
business. There's this really artsy kind of world that's grown up, I think, and is growing by the day that kind of a New York had left behind, but it's been reborn. So those names aren't particularly on that roster, really. But there is this world where those Tomokazumi clothes are really relevant. And I think that they'll be huge. And again, I'm dreading the high street ripoffs, but I bet there will be. Going back to what we're saying about New York, the cornerstone designers, people like Tom Ford, they are really still adventurous and still kind of hold down the flag, if you like, for the city. But they sort of represent what the city's all about. It's about this very smart, straight-talking look, which I think everybody actually really likes at heart. But I think that kind of downtown streetwear vibe that New York might have had a few years ago has kind of gone, really. We did see a bit more interesting casting happening in New York because I think New York has done quite a glossy, a glossy New York woman at a lot of the shows for a lot of years with that kind of Mm. signature blow dry and I don't know, the women look a certain way. I think Mm. at Tomo, the casting was interesting. Well, Gwendolyn Christie was there, wasn't she? Exactly. You know, incredible Game of Thrones star. I don't know how tall she is, but she must be over six foot, (laughs) way over six foot. I mean, you probably need that height for dresses like that because they're almost as wide as you are tall. Yeah, I think there's actually lots of, a few shows Charlie in New York which have actually really championed diversity and maybe they're a little bit more under the radar but shows like Chroma Matt Christian Siriano you know they use Vanessa Beard as well yeah, yeah they use models of yeah. different sizes and different ethnicities in a very kind of celebratory <laughs> way and I think sometimes fashion people have um sort of maybe turn their nose up a little bit at these people but I mean I interviewed Christian Siriano last year and like his business is just going crazy because people who feel ostracized from other brands, you know, just have found a real home with him. And I mean, he's dressing women for the Oscars. Laverne Cox as well, who's a transgender woman, closed the show at 11 on Awe in New York uh, last week. So this was a show, I think, that pulled together looks from different designers. She was wearing Zach Posen and looked just beautiful. So it is interesting to see that coming into New York, because I think maybe New York's been a bit more resistant. I mean, it's not as bad as Milan, but a bit more resistant in changing up the casting a bit and just putting some some kind of fresh faces into the mix. I think New York's been quite good for it, but it's certain brands. You know, it's it's not your Carolina Herrera's and your Oscar de la Renta's. No, I mean, well, Michael Kors is mm, always very good with showing different body shapes and different ages, but then they're still kind of these glossy Kors women. It's still Ashley Graham or it's maybe not as surprising. Yeah. What I would say is that actually in the past few years in New York, I have seen an awful lot of these very, very almost emaciated, very young, unhealthy looking pale or multi-ethnic models but they all share the same kind of exhausted wasted look and this year this time I feel like they've all had more oomph about them so they've traditionally shaped models have had a little tiny bit more character about them they've looked a bit more cheerful I feel like New York has always had a really great mix of diversity 
like everywhere it could have been better but you know certainly all the big designers like Michael Kors have always shown a totally diverse range of American models because you know that's American culture it's completely integrated and there are in terms of fashion and people fight for it all the time so it's separate from certainly from Italy in that respect and this time though I felt there were more slightly older models so I saw models where I thought there was a model at coach yesterday I thought this woman could be in her late 20s (laughs) revolutionary (laughs) but I think you're right you know that glossy and there's also that glossy look and all the pretty brands just have that glossy look but I know what you mean because obviously listeners are probably thinking late 20s is not older but (laughs) it is the shift because what there has been I think on the catwalks is either you've got the 16 somewhere up to Mm. 22 year old girls or Mm -hmm. you've got supermodels who are now in their 40s but you know on the press release it will say oh the show was walked by such and such and such and such and they're talking points rather than models just being cast and not mentioned so to actually see normal jobbing models who are just doing a ton of shows in the week who are in their late 20s or you know gasp 30s that is quite quite new it is no it really is and again that's very New York because The other thing that's happening here, I'll just slip this in, is there's this kind of um, appreciation of maturity um, when it comes to women. So The Cut, which is part of New York Magazine, had a great story a couple of weeks ago about why we all need older women in the office. I mean, when I say older, I just mean, yeah, I guess I mean older. There's an appreciation in the city for maturity, experience, glamour, and it's really kind of rising. This is a great place to come and live when you hit your 40s because you're just going to feel like a teenager again. Love that. Move over here, girls. In, a, in about 10 years' time, just come on over. What are you noticing people wearing on the street? Because I've been horrified in New York in the past, you know, when it's minus 17 degrees, ankle-deep snow, and you will literally see bare legs, stiletto sandals, chiffon dresses, and then someone standing in the wings with a puffer jacket ready to run in when the photographs have been taken. Or oh, now it's the lift, you know, it's the Mariah Carey lift. So if you ever see Mar- Mariah Carey, backstage at little chic parties she gets lifted so she has very high heels and very tight clothes and kind of two minders lift her up by her elbows and then they kind of zoom her over like a little robot to where she's got to be and that's what (laughs) happens that's what happens these shows I've seen that a few times this week you know these girls step out and they're lifted to their cars you know the minder comes out and either lifts them like a baby or um, (laughs) two of them get them by the elbows and carry them from the door to the limo so I'm going to demand we get some of those for fashion week I think I I think it's a new necessity well I went to see Mariah Carey's Christmas show actually well in December and um, every time she wanted to move around the stage (laughs) a man would just run on and take her hand and she'd sort of shuffle but she never moved unassisted she would just be put in position and then she would just (laughs) shimmy in that position yeah and sing well there's (laughs) there's a lot of that with the with the uh you know with the fashion crew who who can afford that but then of course you know there are the unfortunate 
types who are in stiletto sandals in the in the rain and snow or in the or it'll be a freezing cold but sunny day and so many bare ankles I know that look, looks chic, but honestly, I see, you know, Leandra Medine of Man Repeller, she was out the other day in some just like mini stiletto sandals. I just wonder what, what's going on with them. Yeah, there's been ridiculous footwear, but there's also this the sort of two sides to the show audiences, as you will know. But in New York, I think it's much easier for the so-called influencers to get access to the show somehow. I don't know why, but so these ridiculous outfits you know yellow kind of like yellow pantsuits and huge coats and so much effort but so much kind of seems to be missing with all that effort somehow (laughs) when actually I think most people would say it's cooler to look effortless isn't it even if your effortless look is extremely effortful yes well (laughs) if you've got a month of shows ahead you can't really afford to catch the fashion flu week one You need a scarf, some good socks. You really do. I mean, we were talking about it. You just need a decent coat, really. But most journalists are just there to really kind of get as much info as they can. We're all interested in fashion, so we want to be contemporary and part of our peer group. We don't want people going, who the hell's that? But at the same time, when you look at the influencers and vloggers, it's crazy, really, absolutely crazy. And they all have, there's a lot of tiny accessories. They're always carrying hats, tiny bags, so much hand stuff going on. (laughs) You know, I don't know how they manage bones, hand stuff. Oh, gosh. Well, I think that's all we've got time for. Beth and Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. To join the conversation, email me at unzipped at telegraph.co.uk or find me on Instagram and Twitter at Charlie Gowans. Tune in next week for our London Fashion Week special. Thanks for listening. Fashion Unzipped, in association with Tag Heuer, Swiss avant-garde since 1860.